to episode 19 of Long Hair Do Care. I am your host, Georgie Corkery, pronouns she, her, hers. Also happy to go by they, them, theirs. This podcast is all about queer, intersectional, eco-feminist topics. I'm doing it monthly now. And today's topic I'm really excited to talk about is bird window collisions and how to prevent them. I have a special guest here, Jean LeBaire. I know Jean because her and I both serve on the board for Great Salt Lake Audubon. She has volunteered for Great Salt Lake Audubon since 1980 and has been a board member since 2018. She's currently in charge of publishing The Pelican, which is Great Salt Lake Audubon's newsletter that comes out every other month. And I will link to that in the show notes in case you're interested. And she is in charge of the Basin and Range annual event that happens in the summertime and also the Sunflower Seed Fundraiser that happens in October and is currently the lead for the Bird Window Collision Working Group, which is why I invited her on today. So hi, Jean. Welcome. Hi, Georgie. Thank you so much for having me. I'm glad to be here. My pronouns are she, her. And uh, yes, I am very passionate about this topic and keeping our birds safe. So I'm glad to be here to talk about it. Yes. You are my first bird nerd guest that I've invited on, and I've talked about birds a lot on this podcast, so it's exciting for me. Before we jump into the topic of bird window collisions, we got to go over our cats. So these are the cats that I've interacted with (laughs) in October, and only three cats have I seen. Two being Data and Moira, cats that I see all the time, and they're very cute. I've probably talked about them too much. And then one fat black cat that is in my neighborhood in Logan. There are so many fat cats around there, and I absolutely love them. Not all of them will come up to me and let me pet them, but again, cats are lessons in consent. Uh, Jean, have you interacted with any cats recently? Well, just as I was walking up the hill to your home here, I passed a a white cat who was out on the sidewalk there. I don't know anything more about him than that. He had some kind of weird little device around his collar, which I was curious about, if that was some tracking device or something to keep. Yeah, I do think it would be interesting to track your cat if you let them outside. The secret life of your cat (laughs) would be pretty interesting. I think so. But I can tell you about some bird watching that I've recently done. So uh, we were up in at the Ogden Nature Center this past week, and that's a nice little... Uh, nature center in in Ogden, and uh, we were walking around the grounds there, and we saw over a dozen and a half northern flickers, and we saw six wood ducks, uh, three male and three female, and a variety of other birds. So it was it was great to be outside, beautiful weather, and just had a really nice time. Yeah, and no cats. <laughs> <laughs> wood ducks, just so everybody at home knows, if you haven't looked them up, you should look them up because they're beautiful. I really love wood ducks, and flickers are a type of woodpecker, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Okay. I'm an amateur birder. But my goal is to be a good one by the time I retire and to also be good at using my camera so that I have an excuse to get out and interact. But that's a good segue for wildlife. The wildlife I saw this month, I saw another moose. It was a bull moose on a run. My friend Bryn, we were two minutes from turning around and we're like, oh, right. Okay, let's let's go back because she had three dogs (laughs) with her. Luckily, they didn't charge the moose. And that was up Dry Creek in Logan. I don't know if you've ever been up there, but it's It's beautiful, especially this time of year. 
And then I went to Zion for my friend Dane's wedding and saw six or seven bighorn sheep, which I don't often see. So that was exciting for me and all the people that were there for the wedding. And then during the ceremony, I thought this was so sweet. There were two great blue herons right behind the couple that were getting married. And then once they kissed the two herons, flew away and it was so beautiful Perfect. <laughs> yeah and um they got a few pictures of them and it sounds like they're gonna get tattoos that's dane and emily and i'm <laughs> so excited it was a beautiful wedding and beautiful animals for my tesla count for october it was 163 jean just said wow under her breath everybody <laughs> um and jean that's less than what i've been counting oh, really? mostly because i've been in logan there was one week in Salt Lake where I counted 134. Wow. Just in Salt Lake. Amazing. Just driving around. There, there's more and more. I started counting them because I was interested in seeing like, oh, this means like we're progressing towards an environmentally sustainable future. But I've concluded that it's also <laughs> just looking at the wealth in town. That's a probably more what I'm counting at this point. But I still really think that they're beautiful cars. They have, like, cute little butts and beautiful eyes. I like them a lot. <laughs> um, and then for conscious content consumption, and Jean, I do conscious content consumption because we're always consuming things, and I think that a lot of the time people will just consume things without thinking about what impact it has, and uh, representation is really good. Whether that's for body diversity or gender diversity or just talking about things in more nuanced ways. It's good to consume con or content consciously. And I'm going to share another book. And this one, Jean actually gave me, I don't know how many years ago. It was before the pandemic. And it's called The Delightful Horror of Family Birding, Sharing Nature with the Next Generation by Eli J. Knapp. It is a mix between memoir and a nature book that is quoted for the nature lover with a sense of humor, which is true. This author, Eli, he's very funny. I was delighted did, <laughs> reading it. Did you it. see him speak at the Tracy Aviary? Oh. I think, I think he did speak there. No. Yeah, yeah. Did you go and see him speak? No, I didn't. Uh, when I was, was it? Yeah, I, I only learned about it afterwards. It was a couple of years ago. Okay. Yeah. That... More than a couple, probably. <laughs> okay, so probably before I read this book yeah. then. Yeah. I'd love to see him speak. Forbes magazine said about this book, You don't have to be a birder to love this entertaining and beautifully written book, although you may become one after you finish it, which I thought was great. As somebody who's slowly getting into birding, as a busy person, but also fairly passionate about birds, this book was really approachable. And I laughed a lot because Eli, author, he's a bit of a neurotic birder, and I feel like I am beginning to know more and more of them, which is <laughs> it's fun to relate him to the people I know in real life. And I have to say that essay compilations are not usually my preferred reading material, but I did love how he did it in this book. It wasn't necessarily essay compilations, but I'm more of a novel person, so the fact that I was so drawn to this book I think was pretty telling. I'm fairly certain that anyone who reads this book doesn't walk away with a bit of a crush on Eli because he's so clever and vulnerable and relatable and incredibly enthusiastic. So <laughs> I agree. <laughs> I wanted to share some quotes from it. I have three that I chose. Quote, 
Number one, I am a slightly nefarious ornithology professor. Obviously, I want my students to learn. Even more, I want them to become like me. No, I don't want them to wear mismatched clothes and tell jokes that do little more than raise eyebrows. Rather, I want them to become birders, desperately. We all want people to enjoy what we enjoy to some degree. I'm just more determined than most. I want my students to watch, chase, study, and stalk birds, not only for the duration of the course, but also for the rest of their lives. An interest in birds, I'm betting, begets an interest in the natural world. First crucial step towards conservation. Naturalist Robert Ply concurs. People who care, conserve, he wrote. People who don't know, don't care. What is the extinction of a condor to a child who has never known a wren? I, so true. <laughs> yeah. I, I picked that quote out because, one, he is an instructor, an ornithology professor, and the stories he shares with his students, I think, are really fun and how he tries to engage them. And it's telling if you don't know, then how are you supposed to care? And I think maybe that's my call for more environmental education. My second quote is, I like to think I manage my birding well and keep it in the bounds of a balanced life. I show up for work regularly. I try to do the dishes and throw a football with my son. For the most part, I ignore the rare bird alerts, but my vows of sanity have been rescinded a smidge. Every now and then, if a really good bird pops up, I glance down at my watch, finger the car keys in my pocket, and nervously glance at my day planner. The old cycle returns. Optimism. Doubt. Teetering. Sometimes I stay. Other times I remember the lesson of the Anacapa Island. Reward depends on the investment. Yes, serendipity sometimes drops out of the sky, but there's a deeper, more satisfying kind of joy out there, too. It's exceedingly rare and depends upon effort. That kind of joy you just may need to chase. I like that one because, again, I do know some somewhat neurotic birders, and you can get obsessed with it. You can make your life very bird-oriented and have your vacations centered around birding. I'm sure you know this, Jean. Yes, 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 we do that. And and chasing those rarities because you never know when you'll see it again. That's really fun to get that on your life list if you're keeping a life's list. And I have been to Anacapa. Island out in oh, so the, I did say it right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, out in the out in the Catalina Island. So you okay. have to take a boat out there. Oh, and wow. it is a national park. And uh, on one trip that I took many years ago with my brother, we saw an amazing pod of dolphin. There must have been three hundred of them. Oh, wow! And they were male and female, and you could see the little ones that were like football sons <laughs> jumping with their mothers through the water. It was an amazing sight. Oh, that's so cool. I love the fact that people, birders specifically, can follow their passion and be so enthralled and inspired by nature. I think that's one reason why I was drawn to Great Salt Lake Audubon and getting involved and why I've loved volunteering for Tracy Avery. The last quote is a quote that he puts, he puts a quote at the beginning of every single chapter, and this is one of them that I like. It's a Charles Darwin quote. I feel most deeply that the whole subject is too profound for human intelligence. A dog might as well speculate on the mind of Newton. I like that quote because we don't always know. Right, and he's talking about the mystery of the universe, Mm -hmm. you know, 
why is there something rather than nothing? How did this all come about? Yeah, I, I love Charles Darwin. He's <laughs> a fascinating person. Mm-hmm. And then Eli, that following chapter is all about clutch size, a.k.a. how many children to have <laughs> as a bird. And then he also talks about it as a parent. And the way that he ties it all together is just so hilarious and charming. That's my two cents on this book. I highly suggest reading it. And thank you, Jean, for giving it to me. Oh, you're welcome. Um, I've passed it to a few other people, but I got it back so I can pull quotes <laughs> from it. <laughs> <Good deal. laughs> yeah, there were no quotes on the internet. Normally for other books, I can pull them from the internet, but this one apparently isn't that well known compared to some of the other books I've shared. Jumping into our topic now, which is bird window collisions and how to prevent them. Jean, I'll just start with asking a simple question. How critical is the issue of bird window collisions and deaths caused by these collisions? Okay, yes. Yeah, it is a serious issue. It's a very significant issue. And I just wanted to make sure that people understood that what we mean by bird window collision is that birds who are out there, maybe in your backyard, feeding, using the bird bath, resting in a brush pile. If they are attacked by a predator, maybe a cat or maybe a cooper's hawk comes into the yard and they you know, have to flee, oftentimes they'll flee and they won't notice that there's glass there. They'll see it as a pathway to escape and they hit the windows. And as a result of hitting those windows, they either can die immediately or they can be injured and they'll go elsewhere to die. So bird window collisions is a significant issue. And Scott Loss and his colleagues published a scientific paper in 2014 that analyzed 23 different studies. So they call this a meta-analysis on bird window collisions. And using their statistical methods, they identified 365 to 988 million birds being killed annually just in the United States due to bird window collisions. Say that number one more time. So 365 to 988 million birds. So almost a billion birds. (laughs) But, But even if you take the median number, which is 599 million birds, if you think about it, That's two birds for every person in the United States, essentially. So it really is a significant problem. And you have to keep in mind that there are windows everywhere. If you look around our environment, they are just everywhere. And if you look at the Salt Lake City skyline right now, all the new buildings going up, a lot of them are glass. And then, you know, couple that with the large number of birds that are impacted by habitat loss in cats... So you asked the question <laughs> about which which causes more death. It's habitat loss, then cats, then bird window collisions. So by evaluating this, scientists can demonstrate that bird numbers are being significantly impacted and there are less birds. And then according to Ken Rosenberg, who is a senior scientist at Cornell Lab of Ornithology, which is an authority on bird birds and bird populations, agriculture and habitat loss are thought to be the primary drivers. But there are other factors that impact birds as well. So light pollution, which disorients birds at night mm-hmm. when they're when they're migrating, buildings, which they crash into, roaming cats, which kill them. So If you don't see this as a big deal, birds are important to humans in that they provide valuable services. So we have hummingbirds that provide pollination. They visit 
flowers and they move from flower to flower and they offer pollination services. They also offer pest control. So you have birds like swallows that are eating mosquitoes mm-hmm. uh, or seagulls that are eating, eating crickets and grasshoppers. And <laughs> Utah's namesake. That's right. And <laughs> Our state you, bird is the California Cal- seagull because they ate all the crickets during a cricket plague. Uh, well, when the Mormons first came to the valley, the Utah Valley, the Salt Lake Valley, in uh, 1847, and they planted crops, the gulls actually came in and started eating, yeah. uh, or the crickets came in and started <laughs> eating the crops, and then the gulls came in and started eating the crickets. So, yeah, so, I mean, birds are very important. And then you have larger birds that eat, uh, like owls, that eat mice and rats. So they mm-hmm. provide a really good pest control service that is, you know, toxic free. Uh, they are carrion eaters. So you have birds like vultures and magpies and jays that eat the dead animals that are laying along the side. Did of you our say carrion eaters? Yeah. Carrion. So carrion is dead meat. So oh. dead deer, dead rabbits, dead skunks that are alive. I the didn't side know of- that that was a name for, for dead meat. When you said that, my first thought went to how now everyone's calling people Karens if they oh, Karen. act inappropriately oh. uh-huh. <laughs> during the pandemic or what have you. <laughs> so I heard Karen eaters and I was like, oh. C-A-R-R-I-O-N. So yeah. Karen. So, Karen. So yeah. So these are, you know, I mean, you see deer along the highway all the time. Vultures take care of them as do jays and magpies. So, you know, keeping our environment clean. Mm-hmm. And they also provide a seed dispersal service. So you think of birds like cedar waxwings that mm-hmm. really love to eat fruit. They eat the fruit, and then they fly away and they poop and they put <laughs> the seeds out, which they can't digest. So mm-hmm. seed dispersal is another, another important one service that they provide. And in fact, there are 57 to 59 million American households that feed birds. And that is a $4 billion a year industry. And that's using bird feeders, correct? Using bird feeders, bird seed, putting in water features, landscaping their, you know, their backyards yeah. to attract birds. So, yeah, birds are important to humans. The way that I often put it is that birds are our canary in the coal mine, literally. Mm-hmm. If bird biodiversity and population starts to plummet, that is not a good sign for us as the quote-unquote miners of this world, which I guess is not a far-fetched analogy that we are the miners of this world. Well, it's not. And our bird numbers are going down significantly. You know, they mm-hmm. indicate there are 29% fewer birds in the United States since the 1970s. And that is a result of habitat loss and cats and windows and toxins in our environment and Mm -hmm. so many other things. And, you know, if we're not keeping our environment healthy, you know, we're doing a disservice to the birds, but also to to ourselves. ourselves. Yeah, Yeah, it's huge. (laughs) I know you might know this quote better than I do off the top of my head, but Dr. Thomas Lovegood says, if you take care of birds, you take care of most of the environmental problems in the world. Good for him. He's right on. (laughs) Yeah, I like it's in my signature for my Uh emails, which I really like. And occasionally I'll get people who will respond to it excitedly, which I appreciate the enthusiasm. It's a good indicator of friends. I have a question for you that you might not know the answer to is how many birds a year die because of cats? You know what? I don't know the number, but I do know it's more than the number of birds that die due to window collisions. So potentially more than... More than a billion. Yeah. Yeah. 
This is an issue that my friends don't like me to talk about because I, you know, you should keep your cats indoors so that they don't kill birds. And a lot of people will say, I want my cat to have a good life. So it needs to go outside and roam. And then they bring dead birds into the house and it, it, it hurts my heart. And I get wanting your pet to live a happy life. Well, Georgie, I would counter that your cat is much better off inside than outside. Um, you know, outside is a dangerous place. It can get hit by a car. It can get abducted by, you know, little mm-hmm. boys. It can uh, pick up feline leukemia. It can get into fights with other cats and be injured. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of reasons for keeping your cat inside. And they're not deprived by going out into the backyard. And if you want, you can, you know, put a little, uh, they call them catico. So rather than, you know, a porch, it's a little catico. I've seen have, one, just one. Yeah. And you can have that, you know, attached to your house and or you can take them outside on a leash, or I've seen people carry them in little... Uh, harnesses? Yeah, harnesses. Or they put them in little strollers, <laughs> like they do their babies, you know. I've seen one in a stroller several times at the farmer's market, yeah. which yeah. I think is always yeah. cute. So I think, you know, uh, while they think that it, they want their cat is having a better life outside, I'm not convinced. And my sister one time, who allows her cats to roam outside. Her cat came home and it had been bitten by a, a, a rattlesnake It <gasps> and it almost died. I mean, its face, she had to take it to the vet, its face swelled up. And luckily it was not a, a particularly severe bite. Yeah. But I mean, you open your cats to all sorts of dangers, letting them roam around outside, especially in the world now. There's yeah. just too many people. I wonder if you know much about or have thoughts on those collars that they put on cats that look like Queen Elizabethan yes. collars. Or... Yes. Yeah, I know. I've seen those. I've seen, I had someone send me a link to those. They're very colorful, and supposedly mm-hmm. the color is supposed to alert the birds. You know, I would say, well, it's probably better than nothing, mm-hmm. but I still think it's much better to keep your cat inside. Yeah. Where it's eating food that you provided. I mean, God knows what it's picking up. Yeah. When it's outside eating. Yeah. And not to make this about cats, but I do think that that's important and that if you have a cat, you should highly consider it. Mm -hmm. And maybe if you're absolutely not willing to keep your cat indoor all the time, maybe you can go out with your cat and then have them come back in so that you're around them mostly and you can tell whether or not they are killing birds. My next question for you is how can people or businesses prevent bird window collisions in the buildings that they are in? Well, the nice thing about bird window collisions is it is a problem with a solution and and actually multiple solutions. So there are a variety of things that you can do. Whether glass is reflective, whether it's mirrored or whether it's see-through, there are things that you can do to then make those windows visible to birds. So one of the simplest things to do is to uh, create what they call an ecopian curtain. And the ecopian curtain is actually made out of parachute cord. And, oh. if, and if you were to Google a copian curtain, it's A-C-O-P-I-A-N, you can pick up these little YouTube videos that will show you how to make it. It's very, it's a very quick process. Hmm. So if you got the parachute cord and you've got a slat of wood, you can attach the strings to it. You place those strings, you know, two to four inches apart, and then you hang it on the outside of your window. And the birds then will see that parachute cord. And when you say two to four inches apart, I know that this is a specific thing for preventing mm-hmm. birds mm-hmm. from flying into windows so that they can see. That is two to four inches vertically, 
right? Well, across the horizontal plane. Okay, across. Yeah, 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 across. Because it's parachute cord, they're hanging. Oh, yeah. Now, if it was tape, then yeah, you'd want a two by two or a two by four inch matrix. So the coping curtain, I mean, it's a, a really inexpensive thing that you can do for, for residences. Other things you can do is you can buy this bird-friendly tape that then you can put on the outside of your window in the 2-inch by 2-inch or 2-inch by 4-inch. And I'm saying 2-inch by 2-inch. It had been 2 by 4, but I think people are thinking even that 4 inches is too much. Birds are small and they can fit through small spaces, so mm-hmm. making that 2 by 2 just makes it that much more visible and- to the birds. Can they actually, when they're flying quickly, because they usually are when they collide into our windows, Mm -hmm. can they go through a two-inch slot? They could. They -hmm. just can fly through it with precision and accuracy? Yeah, Yeah. in small spaces. So I'm not going to say if it's two or four inches, but I know that they can can fit very uh, well through small spaces. Wow. So... So the bird-friendly tape is a little bit more expensive. It takes a little bit more time to put it together, but it's an easy enough do-it-yourself thing. There's also things like Kaleidoscape, which is a window film, and you see this on buses and mm-hmm. the train where they put it up. It's an advertisement on the outside of the train, and you can see it from the outside. You can read it, but if you're inside the train, you can look outside. Yeah. So that's a little bit more expensive, but you can actually have that customized. You like... If you had a favorite photo, you could have them put the favorite photo on the kaleidoscape and then you could apply it to your windows. Mm -hmm. And that helps with privacy if you don't necessarily want folks looking in. Yeah, Yeah, that's true too. You can also paint your windows, but that would be a more short-term solution because the paint would would come off. But if you just wanted to do something fun and quick, that would be... I know Amanda, who has done the Mm -hmm. education program with kids... They've encouraged drawing on windows with your kids. Yeah. So that could be a fun thing if you do have young ones to once a month go out and draw on your windows. Yeah. 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 Now, a fun thing to do and you're helping your birds. And then from, you know, a building industry architectural standpoint, there are various kinds of glass that are out there now. And more of these glass companies are becoming more in tune with creating a project that a product that can be seen by birds. So fritted glass, for example, I know it's been used on the University of Utah campus, and I know the Eccles Health Sciences Education Building has some fritted glass, like on their third floor, fourth floor, fifth floor. Okay. So it's a glass that it almost looks like the feather friendly. You can see these little uh, embedded ceramic dots on it, and it's very easy for the birds to see that. And And you can see out of it. Yeah. Just fine. You can see okay. It's okay. Not, it's not as if it was clear glass, but it's okay. okay. And then the University of Utah College of Law, Law, when they built this new building just recently, they used this Ornolux glass. Now, it wasn't strictly for the bird protection. <laughs> there are some environmental uh, reasons for doing it. It reduces energy consumption. Okay. So if you use a glass that can deal with the heat of the sun and disperse that. And, okay, so and the light. summer heat won't get through right. as much. Right. And then maybe the heat from the inside won't go out during the winter as much. It's right. more insulating. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the glass is better from that standpoint. But actually, it has this UV light pattern in it that birds can easily see. Oh, so is there an actual light that's shown through? That's... (laughs) No, it's more likely what it is, is that, you know, we see a certain range of UV lighting Mm -hmm. and birds can see a, a greater... 
I don't know how to explain that, a greater range of UV lighting. Their vision spectrum of light is broader than ours. Exactly. Exactly. So anyway, the technology, I, I was reading about this. I thought it was really quite interesting. But when spiders make their spider webs, the little silk that they use actually ends up having UV reflective properties in it. Oh, is that and, why you can sometimes see it shining in the sun at certain angles? Well, I think it's more that it becomes more visible to birds and larger insects because mm. the spider doesn't want the bird to fly into their web and destroy it because then yeah, they, they, they don't have their web. <laughs> they can't catch their, their food source, you know. So, hmm. uh, so anyway, some guys, researchers noticed this and thought, well, could we have these little spidery things in the glass? And so, I mean, that's, it was part of the impetus for yeah. making this Ornolux glass, which I thought was really quite clever. <laughs> so there can be lots of energy savings uh, related to glass. And I think that's how you have to sell it. You know, yeah. people aren't. Yeah. People aren't always invested in the well-being birds. of birds no. just for birds' sake, right? right. <laughs> but there is a huge economic reason for doing it. And then I recently read about a California-based glass company called View that has bird-friendly glass that's actually automatically made in order to change the tint or the the reflective properties based on the weather outside, hmm. um, the the day or night hours, whether the internal occupancy issues. And so the window is able to flux in order to reduce eye strain headaches and drowsiness for people who are inside and decrease uh, building energy consumption. Okay. So, you know, again, uh, a nice little way to get these builders and architects, construction companies to use this glass, despite the fact that it's more expensive, but it can also, you know, really decrease their, yeah. their building costs. Uh, and then also just to bring it up, buildings want to obtain that lead status so that U.S. Green Building Council leadership in energy and environmental design. Yep certification and using bird friendly windows is one way is to one do way it. to do it but it's also because they're energy yeah you know efficient uh, yes yeah and i know because of a conversation i've been a part of with you before that yeah. not all lead buildings require bird friendly windows and i think it only really counts for one one point but i'd have to research that a little bit more i you know i'd like to see that yeah. number be higher so that and tell us really quick what one point means what there's a point system in order to obtain a lead certified building yes and i don't know too much about that either okay. yeah but yeah there is a whole list of things qualifications yeah. that you have to make meet in order to be lead certified. So there's tons of them. Yeah. <laughs> and and the, the bird window thing is just one of yeah. many. I'd like to see it be higher. <laughs> Me too. Anyway. Awesome. I think the most approachable thing for a resident to do is the tape and then the curtain. The Ecopian curtain and then the bird-friendly tape. Yep. Mm -hmm. And that's something if you just Google, you can find, but I am mm -hmm. going to have some links in the show notes that folks can go to if they're interested in making their house or maybe their office mm -hmm. bird friendly. If you have permission to do that <laughs> where you are, if you're a renter or, you know, you don't own the office that you work in, but I do think it's worth pursuing and talking to the people that do own the buildings. Yes. Um, 
That'd be great. Yeah, especially if you do hear that, like, dunk every once in a while. I know where I used to work, Utah Physicians for Healthy Environment, we put a bird feeder out, and it's just glass, you know, just windows, and then a Cooper's hawk would fly by, and you'd hear dunk, dunk, dunk. Just, (laughs) yeah. So, maybe I need to have a conversation with them. Yes. Um, (laughs) My next question is... How did you, Jean, get involved with this bird window collision working group? And I know that in the past you've worked with Tracy Aviary, if I'm right, to count bird window collisions downtown and at the University of Utah. Maybe just go over a little bit of your history there and what it was you were doing. So a number of years ago, uh, Audubon had a movie called The Messenger, which was about birds and the threats that they faced in their environment. And one of the Threats, of course, was the bird window things. And when I saw that movie, Georgie, I just cried. I couldn't stop crying. I just thought it was so sad. And I thought, well, what can I do? And the Tracy Aviary had this program in place. And I thought, well, I want to do that. And so it's called SLACS. And that stands for Bird Window Avian Collision Surveys. And I thought, oh, yeah, I can do that. And so you can contact the aviary. They train you. Uh, what you need to do. There's a certain protocol that you have to follow when you find a dead bird, and you'll be assigned to a building, or maybe a couple of buildings, and you walk around those buildings at a certain time and see if you don't see any birds that have hit the windows and, and died. And those times are usually in the mornings, right? Well, the morning is the best time to go out and do the survey because, and we know this, there are a lot of mice and rats in our environment, and they will come out and just, they'll, they'll, take those birds back to their holes oh, and eat them. Yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah, if you're not there first thing in the morning, either little other creatures like rats get them or the cleaning crews will be sweeping them up. So yeah. we're trying to get there early in the morning. So to be able we, to accurately count them. So we can actually, you know, find them. So um, anyway, so, yeah. So I worked with the Bird Window Collision Working Group and still do. Since 2017, they have documented about 200 plus birds who have hit the windows in the buildings that they've surveyed downtown. And so they've identified 20 buildings that they they actually survey. There's one particular building on 1st South and 2nd East that has had more bird strikes than any of the others, like 55 oh. bird strikes. So it's a building that really could use some mitigation on their windows. And coupling with the bird window collision surveys, you know, there's also the light pollution issue. So light pollution, most birds are migrating at night. That light Mm -hmm. pollution actually distracts them and drags them off course. They come down into the city. And it disorients them a little bit, right? Yeah, they come down into the city and you know, they're more likely to hit windows at that that point, too. So during the migration periods, which are March to May, and then the full migration in August to October, between the hours of 11 p.m. and 6 p.m., if people could just turn their lights off. Yeah, that would help immensely. There's a lot of buildings downtown that leave their lights on all night, I'm just saying. And no one's in there. And no one's in there. Maybe some people cleaning, but Yeah. yeah. And I thought that because 
birds do migrate mostly at night. That's why you counted the dead birds who collided in the windows early in the morning was because you were catching the ones that died overnight. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 And the rats are probably not coming out right until sunrise. Yeah. So anyway, if you can get there early enough. And that again was through Tracy Avery's Salt Lake Avian Collision Surveys. Right. Which they um, call it slacks. Slacks. Salt Lake Avian Collision Surveys. <laughs> they do them in the spring and the fall. And if people are interested, they can train you and assign you a building and mm-hmm. set you up with some dates. Yeah. And you can do as many or as few as you want. So one thing that I was told from two gals who were volunteering doing that with you, I don't remember their names. They liked it because it helped them learn birds better Oh, <laughs> because you were able to be right up close with birds and really learn how to identify them that way. It's morbid, but they did like that aspect of it. And of course, doing this work for the hope that we can identify these buildings. And then do they approach these buildings saying, hey, you need to do something about this. Yes. Is that well, the that, end goal? I that, that is the end goal. And we would like to really influence um, the building managers, the builders, the architects to really, you know, step mm-hmm. up and consider doing something for the birds. And, you know, even though it's more expensive to buy this bird friendly glass, you know, go ahead and do it because yeah. you're a good citizen. Then. <laughs> and uh, the monetary reasons of reducing energy costs is yeah. a great yeah. <laughs> motivator. Right. Yeah, and as a result of, of that, Audubon, National Audubon, actually has a bird window collision working group. And yeah. so we formed our own little local group, and our group has been going out and doing presentations and trying to educate people about the subject and building some will so that people are going to go out and demonstrate for bird-friendly yeah. windows. So, and, and okay, legislation and building codes and, and that Yeah, kind of and stuff. zoning. It'd be and really zoning. nice to see zoning laws that required this. Yeah. That being said, the Great Salt Lake Audubon Bird Window Collision Working Group, that's a lot of words. <laughs> we do have a presentation that we're happy to give. So if by chance anybody who's listening to this is like, oh, I would love for my office to hear that presentation or you just want to hear it as a part of an educational workshop, definitely reach out to Great Salt Lake Audubon. And I believe there's a contact form on our website. Mm -hmm. And at the end, I'll throw out some emails. And of course, in the show notes, there'll be a way for you to find all this information. Yeah, we we would be glad to do that. And we can do it in person or via Zoom, or we can come to an event and table. And we have samples of the various products and ways you can mitigate your windows and the glass. So yeah, we'd be, we'd love to do that. Yeah. We want to get the thrust of what we're doing is we want to get people to, to get on board. Yeah. I think that leads into my next question. Well, how can people get involved in Great Sally Gaudubon's efforts to prevent bird window collisions? Would volunteering be good or simply to just put up these stickers and things in their windows? Well, we certainly are always open to people joining us in our efforts. So if anyone is interested in joining our small group, then we would love to have them. And, you know, we maybe more people, more ideas and more ways of getting the word out. So, yeah. So definitely there is some contact information on the bird window collision uh, page for Great Salt Lake Audubon. 
the more voices we have, the louder we can be. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> so my last question, and maybe this is also one that I could answer, but for people who are interested in Great Salt Lake Audubon generally, or National Audubon, if they don't live here in Salt Lake City or in Utah, how can they get involved? Well, most places you'll have local chapters. So getting involved with the local chapter of Audubon uh, would be a great way to proceed with that. If you go to Audubon, and I, the the URL is just audubon.org. For National Audubon for, for Society? For National Audubon. And so if you just go to their website, they have links to the various local chapters by state. Okay. So you can, you know, you can get a nice look and and work with people locally. Yeah. Um so that that's a good thing. There are so many different things you can do, right? I mean, just working with the various committees that the local chapters have or, you know, Georgie is the chair of the <laughs> the chairperson for the Utah Audubon Council, which is an uh, oversees the very, the four chapters in Utah. So just anything that you can do to help the organization move forward. And we're always looking for fresh and new ideas. You know, sort of, we don't want to get too inbred. You know, we want, to have, <laughs> we want to have some really nice, fresh ideas coming in. Yeah. And I will say that my experience coming into Audubon, I was not a proficient birder. If you asked me, I could have probably named five birds off the top of my head at the time. But I liked it because we do work on conservation issues. So you can come into it as a a policy advocate. You can come into it to work with kids and do education that way. You can go into it just to go count birds and learn birds, but there, there are so many facets. And one thing that I do appreciate of National Audubon Society is that they are trying to diversify a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I know the birding community is putting their efforts towards that. Tracy Avery now has a group that's called Let's Go Birding Together, a.k.a. LGBT, which is for queer community members to join and go birding. It's for beginners. It's for expert birders. It's just really to get the queer community more involved. I really appreciate that and encourage folks to go if you are interested. But there are different ways for you to get involved, no matter who you are. And everyone loves a volunteer. So if you're Absolutely. looking to get out, I'm always pushing everyone to volunteer. If you're sad, go volunteer. If you want to make <laughs> friends, go volunteer. If you want to get outside, volunteer. If you want to learn something new, volunteer. And I think National Audubon or Great Salt Lake Audubon, if you are in Salt Lake City, is a great way to get involved. Any closing thoughts from Eugene? Well, I just want to say we, we appreciate anything folks are, are willing to do to keep our birds safe. So there are three easy things you can do. Oh, I love it. <laughs> keep your cats inside. Make your windows visible to birds. And turn your lights out during migration season. So in the spring and fall. And remind me. Easy things to do. Yeah. Remind me what the months are again for migration. It's March to May. Yeah. March to May and August to October. And August to October. Yeah. Yes. Awesome. Well, thank you for the tips. Thank, thank you. you for coming on. Again, I'll link to all this information in the show notes. And I need to thank AJ, as always, for writing and producing the intro music to the podcast. You can follow me on Instagram at Long Hair Do Care Podcast. And if you have a moment, please rate and subscribe and share the podcast with your friends. And as my dad always says, use your head and be clever. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, everyone. Bye.
Anyway, <laughs> I love you. Use your head, be clever.